phone. <laughs> it's like, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, just got the Holy Spirit here with us this morning. Uh, <laughs> all right. Fantastic start to the morning, hey. And um, I love, Chris, what, what you shared to begin with, because I feel like you just released, I think, what the heartbeat of what it is that we're looking at this morning, hey, you know. Um, and that, I just got a scripture to share before we, before we get started. Just one second. This is in 2 Corinthians, and he says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Powerful words, hey, you know. It says that, you know, having concluded this, one died for all, and therefore all died, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You know, and I feel like for such a long time, the message of the gospel is about Jesus' death on the cross for us, hey. And Paul here is bringing in really what is the full picture, the well-rounded gospel that, yes, it absolutely is. The gospel is about what Christ has done for us. But actually, the full picture is it's about what Christ has done for us and what he's going to do within us, you know, that his death and resurrection wasn't just a historical event. It was to be a reality that we as the body would enter into, eh? So that no longer was it just him dying. Actually, when he died, us, that, that we would enter into that death through, through revelation, and the death that he died would be just as real in us as his own physical death, because what it is that we were born into an Adam, the old man, has actually been put to death, and now we've received this new resurrected life on the inside, so we've become partakers of his death so that we may also be partakers of his divine life, his divine nature in Christ. Hey? And so that's the gospel. It's what he's done, but also it's what he's done for us, but also what he's going to do within us. Hey? And so we're going to pick up this theme this morning. We've got uh, a special treat for you this morning. It's not every week that we get into the meaty scriptures. Oh, wait, it is. <laughs> So this will just be a continuation of, of what God is doing. But this scripture is it's massive, eh? It's almost like, where do you start? So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And in the Nazbe, it's titled this, Sharing Among Believers. And this passage is a, a passage about a, a particular couple called Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. Has anyone heard of these guys before? Pretty next level, eh? I don't know, are we allowed to talk about this on a Sunday morning? <laughs> it is a bit sketchy, eh? You know? Oh, well, we'll give it a go. So starting from verse 32, it says this, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For, he was, for there was not a needy person among them, 
For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of of Cyprian birth, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and, co- and covered him up and carried him out, and they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing about what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside the husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Massive verse, eh? Real massive verse. And I just want to remind us that this is actually in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. <laughs> and so it adds another level of, dimen- you know, another dimension to what it is that we're looking at. So for those who have been here over the last three weeks, we've been hearing about the God of self. And here we see in this passage an incredible black and white contrast between two groups of believers. The passage kicks off, and it's incredible. It says the congregation of those who believed of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Is that not the most incredible, dynamic, life-filled spiritual community of believers? Hey, you know? And it's so easy to talk about these people as the early church of the church or the church in Acts, right? But actually, this is not the early church. This is just the church. This is just the church of God who have received the gospel in a way that God intended, whose lives have radically altered. They've gone out of death and into life. They've gone from living self-centered, self-consumed lives to living wholehearted, laid down lives because of the gospel that they've received. You know, it says about the church, um, the Thessalonian church, and how they turned from idols to serve a living God. There was a radical transformation, a radical movement from the self-life to the divine selfless life that's found in Christ through revelation. Hey, And so what I'd love for us to unpack this morning is what it was that this early church or the church had, what was it that they received that 
made them transition from out of death and into life, out of living these self-centered, self-consumed lives to lives where they actually saw that nothing that they possessed were their own. Everything was common property to them. And the contrast that we see from this church to this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who actually sold their property. It says that they sold their land and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. Now, I don't know if they had a housing crisis back in the day, but all throughout human history, land has been one of the most precious possessions. People have fought wars over it, you know? And so this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, sold their most precious possession and laid the majority of the proceeds at the apostles' feet. What an offering, eh? What an incredible act of what would look like radical generosity. Yet Peter's able to see through the external appearance of things to the underlying motive in the heart. And he was more concerned about the reality that lay behind the action than the action himself. He was more concerned about raising up this apostolic, wholehearted, authentic, true community of believers. He wasn't just about building the kingdom with the money that the people brought. He was about the kingdom being established and built in people. And so he was prepared to put a stake in the ground and say, to say, guys, we're not about the external appearance of things. We're about the reality of having Christ's life formed in you in a real, authentic, and living way. So we're going to unpack that this morning and, and draw out, you know, this radical difference between maybe living for the God of self, but being able to do some incredible actions and entering into this one heart, one mind, one spirit reality that has you not just living the part in appearance, but living the part in reality. So guys, I guess the first question I, I have for us is, you know, what was it that this church entered into that motivated them to lay down their lives in this way? What causes someone to sell their property and possessions and, and lay everything down, not just, you know, as a vain act, but as an overflowing position of gratitude? Chris, I don't know if you want to kick us off, mate. What, what motivated that action? Well, I guess um, for me, does that sound weird to anyone else? You're in the full pack. You guys hear right? Should I switch mics? That sounds all right. Okay, it's just me pointing right at me. Um, what I what I hear in that is is um, what it is that they'd really seen. So they they didn't hear part of a gospel. They didn't hear good news that was about making your life better. It wasn't that Jesus came to give you what you want. I heard, heard, um, I heard this this week. It's not Burger King. You don't get it your way. Because everyone goes, Burger King, you have it your way. It's not your way. It's his way. And what they heard was a gospel that was the true gospel. And so when they were confronted with the absolute truth, they responded to the absolute truth. So it says that in Acts, when the, the gospel was preached... They were, they they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? So Peter laid it all out. He didn't go, here's the good news. Jesus is going to make your life good. He said, the Prince of Peace has come, and you crucified him. And they went, uh oh, 
what do we do? And he said, repent and be saved. That the times of refreshing might come. And so preached a true gospel and they responded to it and they had sight of what it was. So they didn't look at this temporary life and they didn't try to make their lives good. They were living for an eternal reality. I mean, what for me, that is that is incredible that there's a group of people that go, all of these things that I've worked my whole life for, I'm counting them as nothing. Well, that's what Paul said, isn't it? All of these things that I thought were gain, I count them as loss. They're actually nothing in light of what it is that I see. And so for me, sight is the issue. What it is that they had seen compelled, like you said before, Sam, compelled them to live for that. Such a great high calling, such an invitation to a future and a present that, that becomes their present reality that they forsook everything to follow him. That's awesome, eh? And I think, you know, he, he's not that, that, that when the commandment comes, it doesn't just come to expect something of us, it comes to actually give us the capacity in us to do what it commands. Eh? And to me, that's the, the radical difference, eh? Otherwise, you could look at these people and think, man, what great generosity, what incredible people, as opposed to, man, what an incredible gospel that actually does this transforming work in us, eh? You know? Absolutely, and and I, I love what you were saying about you know the land and it's like this property, and the kingdom you know it kingdom what that word means it's the king of the domain, and so you can see these believers and hear these believers have heard and seen something of the lordship of Christ and what that provides and what's in the commandments you know that that. To, to believe is to hear and see and receive. And it's to receive, when we hear and see the true gospel by faith, the lordship of Christ, it enters in, and now it's the king of this domain. And he starts possessing the land of this heart and this being. And this is the possession here. And like you said, it's not about building um, an external kingdom. These believers, they were of one heart, one purpose. That's an internal setup of the Lordship of Christ. And we know today war is always about land, right? It's about the possession of land. And um, I think this is a, a perfect example of what we're going to be seeing. But, yeah, these believers, they heard and they saw something with genuine faith, yeah. an authenticity that gave them a capacity to, to hear and see but also to receive um, the substance of Christ and to be transformed from the inside out. And it's as believers, you know, it's we, we when we receive Christ and the, the lordship and the saving of who he is, we fall more in love with the person and less in love with things. And it just reminds me of, you know, the Levites. And when, you know, when God was dividing up the inheritance for all of the tribes of Israel, he gives a select portion of lands to all 11 tribes. Yeah, yeah. And it says to the Levites, they had no position, no inheritance in the land because the Lord himself would be their inheritance and possession. Eh? And depending on how you view that, either that was incredibly stingy, that he would dish out a physical position of absolute earthly value to all of these other people, and yet actually they received something that was of infinitely greater value than just an inheritance in the land, Christ earth. himself. That's right. A you know? land that does not perish, a land that is not temporary, it's eternal, 
And I think a true believer that's received in faith the, the substance of Christ cherishes that more than anything in its life, yeah. And that's true priestliness, right? You know, to be able to actually see him as the most precious possession. That actually, you know, you don't need an inheritance in the land because he's enough. You know what I mean? He's enough for us, you know, within us, but he's also enough physically. You know, like, just reminds me of um, Jesus in the wilderness, eh? And And the devil comes and offers Jesus all of the kingdoms of this earth. You know, this is not just one tract of land. This is offering it all, you know. And, and ultimately, Jesus isn't tempted by the offering of man's kingdoms, eh? Because he's, he's like, man, I've, I've got a greater dominion. I've got a greater kingdom. Actually, it's an internal, invisible kingdom. I'm not living for what you have on offer. I'm living for my Father's kingdom, which is actually going to last for forever, you know. And how um, that contrasts with what it was the, the common belief at that time. So everyone was expecting a Messiah that was going to come and give back the Jews the kingdom. They were expecting a kingdom which was an earthly one. Is he the one that's going to overthrow the Romans? Is he the one that's going to be the new David and give us a new golden age, which is better than the first? And so they were stuck in this, in this physical realm, not realizing what what was really on offer and you know you see it when Jesus is standing before Pilate and and Pilate's like are you a king and he's like yeah but my kingdom is not of this realm and so he's talking about something which is far greater and and so you see this people that have come out of that where they're it's all everything they've probably ever known is about land the land was divided they they inherited it they've been fighting for it for their whole lives and all of a sudden, they just let it go because they are so free of it mm-hmm. that they, they, to me, it's, um, you know, Paul says that I've, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content mm-hmm. because he's talking about godliness with That's contentment, right. you know, not, not these physical things that are going to add something to my life. Mm-hmm. I'm so free of them yeah. that if I have all of them and I have none of them, that's okay. And, and both sides of that. Are, are in the ditch, you know, mm-hmm. where I've got a whole bunch of stuff and now I'm, I'm safe. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's, it's temporal. Mm-hmm. I've got nothing. Oh, no, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. this narrow path in the middle is Christ, Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. He's everything. Mm-hmm. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found in him. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And I love that it says, you know, neither did anyone say that any of the the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And I think, man, what a what a posture, eh? To to not feel that if you give, you're lacking any less, but actually yeah. you have everything you need. As Paul says, I yeah. can be in any circumstance and I'm content, you know, whether in jail or free, I'm a free man. Yeah. <clears throat> and I you see the same posture here. These are free people, a liberty, a inner liberty that know they, they have everything. If they have the land of Christ, they have everything. Yeah. And in a worldly sense, you know, I'm, a, I'm an economic student, and it's, economics is all about scarce resources and opportunity cost, right? It's like if you give to one thing, you, you have to count the opportunity cost because the cost of not can be, you know, and so everything's about when you give, there's a cost attached to it, right? 
you're immediately worse off. But actually what you see in the lives of these believers is that they were immediately better off because of what they had given, eh? You know? They were better off because they were free from the reality of what Ananias and Sapphira were living in, being entangled and needing to provide for themselves. And actually... They were, you know, they were better off in the sense that the community themselves was there to support their every need, you know. And so it's just, it's beautiful, way. Eh? It's almost like it has, in the kingdom, it has the absolute opposite effect, that when you give, you're actually enriched. You know, it just makes me think of Paul in Philippians, and he says, like, I'm, you know, it's almost like his um, offering message, you know what I mean? And he, and he says, like, guys, I'm, I really want you to give to me, (laughs) not for me, but so that more would be credited to your account. To me, it's like, man, that's a heartbeat, eh? You know, to be able to say, hey, actually, you giving to me is beneficial, not just for me. I've come to, I've come to know what it means to have little, have much. It's actually all good to me either way, but I want you to give for your sake because I want you to be free from something that's holding your heart. It's you, you know? I want you to be free from you and so that you can enter into the liberty of actually knowing him as your source so that actually in giving, it's not a loss. It's a gain, right? Because you've already gained. You've gained before you've given. And so you're not giving from lack. You're giving from fullness. And I think the scripture that you shared earlier, Chris, you know about this widow, she gave everything that she had, right? But that giving was actually an expression of what she had, the knowledge she had already received of a person. So that act was motivated freely, not out of compulsion. She gave everything that she had to live on because she had already a knowledge of who was the true source of life. She wasn't working for food that perishes. She was working for the food that endured to eternal life. Hey, you know? She was the richest person in the room. That's right, that's right. And it makes me think even of Abel and Cain, you know, and it it always used to trip me up about why Abel's offering was more... uh, more accepted in, in God's eyes than than Cain's, you know. But but it it it's so it becomes so clear that it it wasn't about the gift that either of them gave. It was who they perceived the value of who they were giving to mm. that that conditioned what what they gave, you know. So it, it's not the object itself. It's not what you're giving. It's it's the heart in which you're who you're giving to. You know, and again, I think we see with these believers is they receive someone precious that they cherished, and uh, so their giving came out of that posture, and not anything else. And the giving, like you say, is it's almost like um, as a believer, when we know Christ, everything we do or give at any point is really just an investment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just an investment, and there's a profit. Uh, for all, it's not even why you do it. The profit, you just it, things just multiply, um, you know. And unex- uh, not even wanting that, it just it just does because that's the way of the kingdom. Yeah, and his resources. And there's, uh, I mean, it, that's awesome. And I, just as just sharing it, made me think of in First John where he talks references Cain and Abel, you know, and he says these this this is really interesting. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who is of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? 
because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so it's interesting that, that he says, like, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. It's interesting that in this moment, John doesn't say that slaying his brother was the evil act. It was the offering that Cain gave was an evil act. And because of that, out of that came the fruit, which was murder. You know, that the evil act that John is saying actually wasn't the murder. The evil act was what it was that he was operating from. His acts were evil. His brothers were righteous, you know. And a very similar situation you have here, right, you know. Here's a group of believers who are literally giving away their property. Look, on the ex- from the external appearance of things, the devotion looks almost exactly the same, right? Giving, giving. Cain gave an offering. Abel gave an offering. One defined as evil. The other defined as righteous, you know. Is that not startling eh you know that and and to me this touches on the very heartbeat you know is that God isn't looking for the external appearance of things and I think to me coming back to this is why that this you know this whole theme of the God of self is so powerful that and that even a religious act and an offering could be motivated from self-interest you know and that God isn't comfortable just having us living on that plane he wants to get right to the very heart of things that test it says the word of god you know tests or it cuts and divides you know and and it divides soul from spirit that we wouldn't just be those who perform on the outside but those who live from the actual reality of christ in us you know that our actions would be righteous acts acts that come from this posture of him and us from faith being able to see like you said before the absolute value of what of who Christ is and making an offering that comes from this posture as opposed to the right act but the wrong motive you know and so it's it's massive eh? yeah yeah and I I don't know how, how everyone else reads it but um Peter said um while it remained wasn't it your own and after it was sold wasn't it in your own control and so the way that I read it is that these guys were under no obligation to give. There were, there were people that probably kept their properties and didn't sell it. That's okay. But don't call it something that it's not because it's actually not about the land. It's not about the money. It's, it's revealing the heart position. And you have, um, you have a community that are one and, and they are... It says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. This is, this is what this looks like because the seed is growing after its kind. Christ has been sown and Christ is being grown in this, in this situation, you know. And so the false tries to attach itself to the true and it looks like it is on the outside. And Peter, with the discernment of the Holy Spirit, is like, that's not us. You've called it us, but it's not us. Because we are like him. He has our all. And, and that's really the heart behind it, isn't it? He, was, he, he empowered a group of people who he opened their eyes to see who he was, which their response was to give him their all. So something turns up and goes, I'm like that. 
and in itself it actually isn't him at all. And Peter's like, that isn't it. And, you know, it's exposed further when his wife turns up and goes, yeah, we sold it for this much, and so not... <laughs> Who does that, you know? But, but this, is, this is the challenge that, you know, like I, like I shared before, that can be us. We can sing this. We can go, God, you have everything. He's like, actually, I don't have everything. And it's okay if I don't have everything, but don't tell me that I have everything because I know it's not. And what I've got for you is enough that you will give me everything when you see it for what it is. But that's a, there's a process in that or some things you've got to lay down or whatever that looks like. But don't tell me that it is when it isn't. He's covered it. He's like, actually, you can come to me. I, I loved you when you hated me, you know, and this is what he does. And so, you know, part of the reason, and I can see how that ties in now with, with what I shared before, is that this, this can be our position as well. Here, God, this is what I'm giving you. It's, the, it's my entire land. He's like, it's not your entire land. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you're withholding from me. Call it what it is. And I think that's such a fantastic point. To me, that, that touches on the heartbeat yeah. of what's going on here, eh? You know, is that the land was absolutely within their possession. Yeah. But when confronted, they were more concerned about the appearance of devotion yeah. than they were of actually entering into the devoted life, eh? You know? More concerned about maintaining the, the image of wholeheartedness yeah. than actually entering into the, you know, the kind of pulsating wholehearted life of the community, eh, you know? And, you know, Ananias doesn't have much opportunity, you know? But his wife is given an opportunity, Mm. you know? Here's an opportunity to be actually honest in this moment was that are you giving in full or or are you withholding, you know? And to me, that's the mercy of God, right? You know, like he, he meets us in that point and he calls us out not to, you know, but, but to give us an opportunity to enter into what's true and authentic and real, hey, you know? Yeah. So. I feel like we're answering question two, eh? Um, no, it's good. It's like, it's just that natural flow, isn't it? Um, about, um, shall I read it out? Or do you want to read it out? Did I actually put it down? Hold on, here we go. I can read that, sorry. Oh, um, Ananias and Sapphira gave a significant amount of money to the apostles. Why was this not seen to be acceptable in God's eyes? What was it that they were still living for? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, because I was just thinking, you know, faking faith in the presence of God is a very serious thing. Mm. You know, and you can think, like, read the story and go, man, death, just like that, you know, but... While I was sitting in this, the Father said to me, you know, the God of self and believers is the thing that will cause a spiritual death. And and it, he will give you the last breath of opportunity, you know, to enter into the true faith reality that he's calling us into. But at the end of the day, if we don't, we will find that the God of self and believers that are trying to appear and maintain something by appearance um, will all be found buried in the same place. And that will be the place of religiosity. It will be the place of rote. It will be the place of um, 
appearance, performance. And this is what we're seeing with these guys is that, you know, they were almost self-promoting themselves, self-promoting how they would appear to to others. And like you say, just had no, uh, almost no sense of who's the awe of God. Who said that? That was beautiful. The awe of God. No, no sense of actually where their breath has come from, where anything they have, who that comes from. And to, to try perceive and promote something differently, uh, it's actually quite a scary thing to discredit the Holy Spirit, to discredit God and who he is. Do you know what I mean? To live one way and confess one thing, to confess one thing and live a different way is actually a very serious thing. And we see these people drop, you know, just by a word. But I think the reality of it is a spiritual death awaits um, the believers that still have God of self-living that want to portray themselves as something they're not. Absolutely. And, you know, it's almost like you see in this passage the consequence was physical death, right? But actually physical death is far less serious than spiritual death. And yet it's perceived probably as more serious, right? You know, like... Imagine if we were reading a story about someone who was spiritually dead to God. It'd almost be like, oh, yeah, that's my story. You know what I mean? Or imagine if, you know, like Chris is starting to get a bit, you know, edgy in some of his preaching and, you know, promoting himself from the pulpit, you know, and Mel comes along and, you know, casts an act of judgment and Chris drops dead right in the middle of the auditorium on a Sunday morning, you know what I mean? It's like the shock horror, you know, from the congregation would be like, my goodness, what on earth is going on here? And yet, what if, we have, what, what if people are living from a position of spiritual deadness, which has not just physical implications, but eternal implications, and we're just like, you know, oh yeah, you know, well, um, I guess, you know, Good service. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like the, the intensity and the reality of the physical is shocking, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the reality of actually what underpins this all is even more severe, you know? And the, some of the promises to the overcomer is that they won't be hurt by the second yeah, death. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you've read that in your Bibles before. What's the second death? And why is he saying that actually the ultimate promise is to not be hurt by the second death? And actually, to me, it's saying actually physical death is, is nothing because everyone's going to physically die at some yeah, stage, right? right? But only some people receive this inheritance of not being a part of the second death, which is a consequence, which is eternal, you know? And so our minds and our hearts need to be realigned, eh? Yeah. To have a greater reverence for the things that are unseen than the things that are seen, you know? And it says that an, a sense of awe came a, upon the community of believers after this physical action. Yeah. Man, how much more a sense of awe and reverence for, you know, the God who is taking us out of eternal death yes. and into eternal yeah. life, eh? You yeah. know? Well, Jesus says, um, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body, but be afraid of him who can cast body and soul into hell. And, you know, there's this, there's this awesome story where he, um, those guys were let down through the roof. 
I think it's that story, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And everyone's like, that's blasphemy. And Jesus is like, that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, take up your bed, arise and walk. And he says, which is harder to say? Well, take up your bed and walk is harder to say unless your sins are forgiven is true, because that's actually harder to say, because who's got the power over that? You know, there's false signs and wonders, people can do that. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's the, the real deal going on there versus the counterfeit, you know. Um, this morning we've been talking about investment, and just getting back to um, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, how they were, what it was that they had seen, and, um, and Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And, and what I see in these guys is that their heart wasn't based in what was eternal. It was based in what was temporal. You know, if we truly believe, you know, what it was that I said about um, not fearing those that can kill the body, but him who can cast body and soul into hell, and that he is building a kingdom that is unshakable, that is been laid before the foundations of the earth and and these things that our lives are a vapor of smoke, how much of what it is that we sold would we be holding back from him and and then trying to say that it is, you know? And, you know, just another question before Sam continues. Um, Where's Jesus' treasure? Where's his treasure? Has anyone ever thought about that? I've just been thinking about that. Any other takers? Where's Jesus' treasure? There's lots of mumbling going on. Who's got a confident answer? Well, I'll give you one answer. What I've been chewing over is he says he's placed his treasure in earthen vessels. Us. We're a sizable investment. He's, he's given us a deposit of the Holy Spirit to live within us. I think his heart is towards us. He sees it for what it is. And he's calling us to be like him, that we would see this for what this is. If these guys realized what had been deposited in their gatherings, in their community, they wouldn't have been keeping back some of the profit and trying to lie about it. I think that's, that's massive, eh? You know, and, and immediately it, it takes it out of this just being a ruthless story yeah. to actually seeing the, the, um, the incredible invitation that's in front of them to yeah. be part of, you know, this community of believers who yeah. aren't living for themselves, you know, yeah. but are laying everything down for him, eh? You yeah. know, and I think to me that's like you were saying before, Chris, you know, the issue was never... Was, was never that they weren't capable enough or that they weren't giving enough. Yeah. The issue was trying to portray yes. an image of something. And to me, it just it comes back to w- what's our vulnerability like? You know yeah. what I mean? And are we, are we prepared to be deeply honest yeah. about where we're at for the purposes yeah. of not portraying an appearance yeah. but for entering into life yeah. you know and that's yeah. the invitation that's on offer yeah. for all of us hey, it's, yeah. he's not this is not a story of people being pushed away yeah. this is a story about a, a god whose heart beats yeah. for oneness that's yeah. true and real yeah. and genuine and authentic yeah. hey, you know? that's right and 
Yeah, I love that, Sam, because I can't get away from this purity thing, you know. And when reading this, the scripture, it's like these guys. We see such a, a difference between believers, where 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 Christ is reigning in their hearts and changing them from the inside out, compared to Ananias and Sapphira, where God of self is still living, and. And what is the difference? Because it's it's not the difference we might not see in the external. You know, might be part of a congregation, might be going to the same services, might be giving, might be uh, operating in the gifts. But the heartbeat, the heartbeat of what God's looking for, it's it it is this, you know, pure heart, a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith. And all three things, all those three things was completely missed by Ananias and Sapphira, by believers where God of themselves is still reigning. You know, they, they, they allowed their conscience to be crossed and they were okay with that. They had impure motives in their heart and they were okay with that. And then they demonstrated the insincerity of their faith and they got called out. And I think, you know, this, the context of when this was happening was, you know, the forming of this beautiful church of the, the earthen vessels yep. that are, you know, going to receive the treasure mm. of Christ. And of course, there's an expectation that these vessels are pure and that they have a heart for the Christ and for God himself. And I was reading in Ephesians 4 this week and um, just about the body and how we're called to maintain the unity and, you know, build one another up. And it just, it, it was like this holy reminder from the Father of like, we're so quick to elevate the external things that we're watching other people maybe do and then sort of elevate them on what they're doing and how they're looking and what's appearing. And yet live with hearts that are actually resisting another because there's jealousy or there's competition or there's insincerity of faith and how quick we can try um, create an appearance that our faith is something more than what it is um, and and just come across something we're not, you know. But I think it's just, it's too easy to glorify a church that's looking busy and active and not put enough emphasis on how important it is to the Father to maintain unity and purity in the unity and to maintain um, the the call to mature one another in Christ. And that's all found in the secret. That's all found in the behind scenes. But even before we're interacting with one another, it's getting our heart right, you know, before him and living from a place of a pure heart, a clean conscience and a sincere faith and not living anything outside of that um yeah it's just I just I really feel it burning on my heart for us as a body to you know if if you find your focus is on others and what others are doing or looking or even finding yourself compare your comparing yourself to another because what you're perceiving their value is we're missing the mark guys it we're missing the mark and missing the mark is sin 
I would, I would urge all of us, and I'm saying this because this, is, this, is my, this has been my daily prayer this year for this pure heart and sincere faith and clean conscience. Um, but it affects everything in our lives, relationships, how we go day to day. God is more interested in what is going on in here and how we're relating to one another um, than how a church appears um. <laughs> um, you know, it just reminds me in, in Revelation, you know, he talks about this church, you know, who has the appearance of being alive, yeah. but underneath it all is is dead, you know, and it just, it, it so ties into this passage with Ananias and Sapphira, you know, that you would think that such a generous gift for the building of the body yeah. would be welcomed, right? Yeah. But Peter wasn't interested in building a building or building an institutional structure or even building a movement that would be funded by the, you know, like he, he was more concerned about the authenticity of faith. And that's, you know, what they were fighting for at the beginning. You know, there was something about the first place position that needed to be jealously guarded and maintained. And it's that position that God is bringing us as a, as a community back to. Eh? It's the starting point. It's authenticity. It's not, it's not maintaining or building this structure. It's about building people. Eh? You know, and that needs to be fought for. And to the extent in this scenario that someone's life was lost, but yeah. how much more at stake when yeah. it's no longer, it's not just physical right, life, yeah. it's hearts, people entering into the fullness of life itself, yeah. Yeah. which is Christ, say, eh? yeah. you know. And so we need to jealously guard and look out for one another, you know, and encourage, what does it say? Encourage one another while the day still is today, eh? Yeah. That we as a family enter into this authentic life, not the appearance of life, yeah. not just coming like Mel was saying, to be part of a, a gathering, but actually entering into the true oneness of the Spirit, yeah. what it was that, that this church at the first entered into, eh? Yeah. And you can see that, the, um, that, that God's response to this situation is um, a result of how serious... It is that's just that's just turned up, you know. For me, I think if we sort of bring it into earthly terms, if you've got a let's say you've got a little plant and it's a seedling and it starts to get rot in one of the branches, what are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to just let it keep growing and ignore it? And oh, it's just a little thing. Peter saw it for what it was, and he went, "Actually, this is corruption that has the potential to be a massive, massive problem because it's corrupting the very essence of what this is that God is doing. And he identified it for how serious it was, and I think that it's, it's prudent for us to see how serious it is as well, that this appearance without the, the genuine article is very, very dangerous. Um, and, you know, just talking about Revelation as well, I read about a, a harlot or a prostitute that looks the part dressed up nicely, but is absolutely not the part, especially in contrast to what it is that Christ is um, born and uh, is this pure, spotless bride and this purity thing is a, is a big deal. It's rust on your new car. It's gangrene in a toe. You know, it's all of these things, like it really is. And we understand how serious that is, 
That's actually what it is. And I think, you know, you see in Peter's response that he's not disciplining for the sake of maintaining an appearance. You know what I mean? It's like, if anything, he's shooting himself in the foot. You know what I mean? For this, this like, pumping community who are giving things away. And is he putting a stop to that? You know? And it just makes me think of, man, you know, in Hebrews it says that he disciplines us for so that we might share in his holiness. You know? This wasn't about keeping keeping the the appearance of something going. This was about the the very nitty-gritty, the reality, the operating system that lay behind today. It just makes me think of healthy discipline, eh? And there's two kinds of discipline towards your kids, even here on a Sunday morning. It's like, shh, be quiet. You're making a scene. You're embarrassing me, you know? It's discipline about maintaining appearances. Actually, it's self-centered, right? It's it's, it's not about the person. It's about maintaining a particular kind of image. Yep. And so the discipline actually isn't out, out of love at all, no. as opposed to the discipline, which actually isn't about the way that someone looks. It's about actually the, the genuine opportunity for learning, eh? Yeah, you know? Right. And I think that this is what Peter's maintaining, you know? It's not about keeping up the image. It's about, hey, guys, let's not depart from the underpinning, authentic life of the Spirit. Let's guard this at all costs because the reality is more important than, than yeah. the image of things, hey? That's it. That's it. And I, I, I can't tell you how many times when the Father has disciplined me, the, the relief of knowing that he cares enough to set me apart to him and for him to be present with him um, is such a privilege, you know. And, and so discipline isn't, it's not a fearing thing when it comes to the Father because of his love and his holiness and his purity that you welcome it, don't you? You welcome the sense of a good father taking care of you and almost jealously guarding you you, you know, and pulling you aside and saying, I want to speak with you. You know, it's interesting, um, I was reading earlier when, when it says they were, um, Peter and then were, and John were addressing the Sanhedrin, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled. Again, you know, the Sanhedrin, the religious people of the day, what impressed them was who people were, the status of who they, you know, who they were. And there's these men in boldness, pure heart, sincere faith, clean conscience, is speaking boldly between, before these people, who they know can, can take them out in an instance. And yet the authenticity of Christ at that experience was the very thing that was motivating them and, and holding them before these people. And it says that they perceived them as uneducated and untrained. I love that. I love that they were uneducated and untrained. It's like the perfect vessel that, that you know, God sees and goes, I'm going to use. But then it says, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the presence of Christ, the person that, that makes us. It's the person. It's the love of who he is 
and by being with him and him alone is the only necessity. It's the only treasure we have. And it's the very thing uh, that will project our lives in the reality of Christ that he's calling for and asking for. And he's requiring that of each of us is to be in the presence of Christ, to be with the person of Christ, not to worry about how we're looking, not to worry about... Um, you know, even on a Sunday, you know, like, oh, I need to contribute. I need to say something. I need to, I need to do something. No, no, you don't. If, if it's not, if the Father has not said something, if the Spirit has not divinely moved you, just listen. Listening is better than speaking, guys. Receiving is, I was going to say, receiving is better than giving. Giving is better than receiving. But what I mean is when you're receiving Christ, it's better to receive than give. It's it's him as the source that be, that resources us in every way, um, but yeah, it's 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 him, eh? It's just him, yeah. Because actually, in a family, receiving is giving, right? Receiving is a form of participation, and sometimes we can give things, give words, give actions, and it's actually not giving at all. You know what I mean? It's just noise. But sometimes the quiet spirit that actually hears, receives, absorbs, that's a form of participation. And so it's not about, once again, the appearance of things. It's about what's happening in here. You know, are we actively participating? Because when hearts turn up in a room like that, it's not about the volume of noise. It's about the synergy and about the sound that comes. You know, it's, you know, I was I've been thinking about well, last week. I in the service received the word, you know, resonance. You know, and it's like there's a resonant sound that you know. There's myths about how an opera singer can sing at such a at such a pitch that it smashes a glass. Hey, eh? you know, and it turns out the story is true, but it's not about the actual. It's it's not about the actual words or the volume. It's not so much about singing at all. It's about that there's a kind of frequency that comes and a kind of sound that actually isn't natural sound at all that vibrates the glass in such a way that's when it's received, it takes something that's whole and smashes it, you know? And so I don't know if an opera singer can actually do this. I don't know if it's, you know, a singer, but, but there's a certain kind of sound that isn't noisy sounds. It's resonant sound that has the ability to do something that's not natural, but supernatural in us, eh? you know? And it's that kind of receiving that smashes the, the religious structure, the appearance of things, the image, the unhealthy image of things in order to establish what's true and real, eh? you know? So just to clarify, you know, and for the recording as well, saying, um, asking about whether the, the, the rest of the church in Acts had in them what Ananias and Sapphira had in them, and were they just an example of how everyone else was? Is that correct? So um, 
I, I personally don't believe that Ananias and Sapphira were a representation of what was happening in the church. So here's an example where um, Peter and John had been arrested and they, uh, like Mel was talking about before, they got brought before the Sanhedrin and then they were told off and all the rest of it and they got let go. And so it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. So there's a, we have a church of one and this is, this is what's so massive about this example of, of the church here that they are of one accord. And as we go further, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own. And as we go further, we see a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira. So that man there does say that something that he had was his own. So I don't count him in the group where it says that all believers had all things in common. Because he actually wasn't of that same kind he said, this thing that I have is my own, which is why Peter said, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Because it wasn't his control. He wasn't of the same kind. But he was amongst them. The Bible talks about wolves and sheep's clothing. And I think, you know, I think we need to be careful that we don't take God taking a situation and making it for our good as though God's the author of that situation. So I, the way that I read that is that God took something that happened that wasn't good and turned it into an example because after that it says, and great fear came on them all as a result of what it was that he saw, that they all saw. So, so they certainly grew and they certainly learned something, but I don't think that it had to be necessary, let's say that. And I, I don't think they gave their lives to be an example. I don't, yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. And I think to me the key thing is, you know, as you're reading, Chris, you know, about how in this particular group of believers it says that they, you know, um, the congregation of those who believed to it of one heart and one soul, you know. There was something that these believers had that was so authentic, yeah. you know, and so t- to me, personally, I don't believe that, like, so to me, there's, there's a contrast happening, right? There's one kind, yeah. and then there's another kind. There's also the I don't even think it's as complicated as that. If if someone came in with red shoes and God went, red shoes are unacceptable and that person died, we'd all go, I'm not wearing red shoes anymore. You know what I mean? It's it's as simple as that. They realised that there was something that happened there that was unacceptable. Now, it wasn't red shoes, thank God. It was something really serious. But it made everyone stop and... T- oh, sorry, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it made everyone stop and take I'm notice, didn't offended. it? So the, this this great fear came on all. Obviously, the spirit was moving, but they recognised that something was done that was so serious that it required notice. Yeah. 
It's a reverent awe, eh? you know, and I think to me that the key thing is that there's a dynamic group of believers who are living out of this authentic spiritual life, you know, and to me it's like that is the invitation for all of us, you know, and so the, you know, as, as we get back to the apostolic authenticity of being this church of God, what 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 it is that he's saying is that this is the normal church. Outside of that is the abnormal church. Do you know what I mean? And and so he was guarding what it was at the first, and to be able to say, guys, to like as believers, this is what the holy standard is in a healthy way. You know, and so he was saying, guys, we are not prepared to have this half-hearted image appearance of thing but not but not the actual reality that sits behind it you know and so to me these people who were in that there's still a sense of holy reverent awe to be able to say wow you know like god is that jealously passionate about maintaining this kind of apostolic authenticity. It's not a fear that I'm biting my nails that I feel like I'm going to pass out and faint because, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, wow, what I'm part of is so holy and so pure and so incredible that I want to stay in the in the and belly just of that. in the belly of it and, and the shadow of his wings I don't want to move out of that for a second so it holds them in that place does, does that make sense and I hope I hope this morning we're hearing that full potential that this is what we're called to what we're being invited into the purity the pure potential of what is before us and and what we're praying um, as elders for us all to come into. Um, this this isn't uh, to to condemn us to what we're not. This is this is full potential through Christ, in Christ, in receiving to to come alive and possess that potential. It only lies as potential. And it will only lie as potential if we don't take hold of it, um, if we don't take, if we don't possess the potential. And again, this just talks about the land. Eh? It's like possessing God's heart. We are invited to possessing it. We can see land, and we can see the potential of it, and the increase of what we can come into. But if we stay put and try appear one way, we'll just stay in one place um, and. And then really might see others possessing land that is before them because authentically they're taking hold of it. But it starts, I think the point we also want to make here is that it, it has to start with a pure heart and a sincere faith, you know, and a clean conscience. Now I can see lots of people putting their hands up and standing up, which is actually really exciting. Um, I don't know how we're doing. Oh, we're doing for time. Mm. That's a, I think it's a great, great point, Russell, and and I love what you're saying about because the no compromise is not okay. I've got to go out of here and give all of my possessions away and sell all of my property. Hey, eh? it's a compromised heart. Hey, eh? you know, a heart that's divided, and, and a heart that that projects something that it's not a. Eh? You know, mm-hmm. and so that's awesome. Um, we have time for one more. Is that right? Yeah. One more.
Awesome. And I think in everything that we're saying, if you're leaving with a sense of this is so heavy, you probably haven't heard what's in, what it is that you know we've been trying to communicate. It's not heavy, it's weighty. You know, and I think this is what Chantal, I love what you're saying about the the reverence of God. You know, the fear of God is not a cringe-worthy. I'm going to go and crawl into a hole kind of fear. It's a reverent awe that motivates and inspires. And to me, it's like to hear about a community of believers who is so one, we're so authentic, to say, wow, is it possible to be part of a body like that? Is it possible for me to be so full with Christ, having been built on these eternal foundations that we heard Sandra share about. You know, it's like this is an eternal invitation for all of us. And while we've still got breath, we've still got an opportunity to enter in a, you know. And so thanks, guys. Thanks for the time this morning. And awesome to have the, the dialogue. We, we do this every week on Sunday evenings where our the structure of Sunday night is to be able to have this kind of dialogue. So we'd love to invite you to come out tonight. We're going to be looking at at, um, Jesus and Nicodemus and what it means to be truly born again of the Spirit. So it'll be awesome. I really encourage encourage you to to come. Maybe if, if, if you don't normally come, I want to encourage you to come and maybe think about ways that you can come. So maybe, um, you know, if you've got kids like we do, maybe the wife um, can come and the husband can stay with the kids or, the, or vice versa, you know, and just make it work and be part of what it is that, that God's doing and, and, and come and feast with us, hey. Is that cool? All right. So have a fantastic day, guys. Hopefully see you tonight. If not, see you next week.